Now, folks, imagine if at the end of last year, someone picked you aside from a room and told you, hang on a minute, next year, some driver in Formula 1 is going to end up winning a Grand Prix from P14 with almost a 15-second gap, and it's going to feel totally normal. You're going to look at them and say, are you crazy? I mean, what are you even talking about? These new Formula 1 cars are supposed to make racing as close as possible, but somehow, what Max Verstappen has achieved this weekend in the Belgian Grand Prix is so great that it feels expected. It feels normal. And we were all buzzing before this year's Belgian Grand Prix. We thought, wow, okay, finally, after a year away, we are going to get to see a race at Spa-Francorchamps. It's so exciting. But did we actually end up seeing a race? That's exactly what we're going to discuss on this episode of the Inside Line F1 podcast. But folks, firstly, I've got to introduce myself. My name is Somal Arora. I'm the host of The Driving Force on Disney Plus Hotstar. As always, I've got Kunal Shah, the former marketing head of the Force India F1 team with me, who's of course now also working as an FIA accredited journalist for the Viaplay Network. And as a special, I wouldn't say special guest in this episode, but just as a special surprise for all of us, F1 Stats Krasundaram is also a part in this episode, not as a part of his own segment, but throughout this episode. So Sundaram, lovely, lovely to have you on for this uh, entire episode. And I just want to start off with you on this particular discussion. Have we just seen all of our title hopes torn off this weekend? You can actually say that because I don't know what Max Verstappen was on yesterday. And quite literally, we didn't see a race. We saw him playing the F1 2022 game where he gets bored starting from pole and he says, okay, why not? make it a little bit more difficult, a little bit more fun. Starts from 10th in Hungary in a difficult track, like uh, the Hungaru Ring, ends up winning that and says, nah, this is too easy. Let's let's start further behind. Let's do 14th or 15th uh, at Spa. And he ends up winning that as well. And on the way to winning the race, along with winning the race, he also, a little piece of tear off, uh, hampered Leclerc to a great extent and probably even crushed all of Ferrari's title hopes in, in both championships. So, uh, big, big changes that happened yesterday, but I think overall a very spectacular race, which I think we'll talk about more. And I think, did we actually have a race or not? You know, for the first time, my notes around the banter that we have in the first five, ten minutes of the episode are longer than the race notes itself. And before we actually get to the banter, right, uh, let's understand this was masterclass in action we all are extremely blessed to witness these kind of races right dominance doesn't come as easy as it did it comes after it doesn't come as a fluke it comes after a lot of hard work a lot of perseverance for max to have done what he actually did in spa was pretty phenomenal i mean you know the the next race you know we have to ask the question could he start 20th and still try and go and win and traditionally the next race would have been monza but this time of course it's max's actual home track in sanford the dutch grand prix itself and coming to the banter we actually saw that it's not just ferrari that has various alphabets in terms of strategy mclaren were going to use plan g for Lando Norris. I mean, I never imagined even McLaren went all the way to plan G and imagine drivers like Lando Norris driving a car, wondering why am I not able to overtake and suddenly be like, okay, what was plan G again? I have no clue. 
was it plan G for plan give up or something at the end considering how McLaren was struggling at that particular part of the race but we should come to McLaren in a bit more depth later on because I want to touch upon that aspect you mentioned about Max Verstappen it's almost it's almost Schumacher-esque this I mean at this stage you expect him to do stuff like this one uh, this particular performance that we saw uh, at the Belgian Grand Prix and one might say oh it was not not just Ferrari who were doing terribly. It was Red Bull in general who did a great job. But not not all of Red Bull did a great job. Sergio Perez was struggling. We saw him have a terrible start throughout the race as well. He was never quite there at peak performance. But the way Max was able to extract performance from the car in every single sector over the course of the race and, and not make any blunders as well, this, this Sundaram is just, I think, prime Red Bull racing. You would call it that way. Prime Red Bull and prime Max. It, it's like they're unstoppable now. I just get a Vettel 2013 feeling out of this one. Oh, absolutely. It reminds me about uh, of the performances that we've seen from Hamilton for several years, Alonso uh, during his Ferrari years, or even Michael Schumacher in his Ferrari, uh, in, in the Ferrari era. And I think the, the, the main talking point or what the biggest takeaway for me is that how Verstappen has transformed as a driver over the years, especially during his time in in Red Bull itself, uh, how aggressive he was and how his his driving style has been and how his demeanor also has been in certain pressure situations. I genuinely am amazed at how he's transformed overall in in all all those years And, and probably also winning a championship does that to you and that probably lessens the burden as well and you're probably able to enjoy your driving a little bit more uh, so i am genuinely impressed and amazed by how max verstappen has improved as a driver it's crazy how it all panned out but we should also talk about how he was so good this weekend and why no one else was just able to catch up but we should do that after a short break so stay right here hey folks welcome back into the inside line f1 podcast And yes, as you heard about our live race watch-alongs, we were watching the Belgian Grand Prix live with Steve Slater this weekend on Paytm Insider. And my word, Kunal, over there, there was only one thing that we could think of. Just why is Perez not able to do what Max is doing? Why is Ferrari not able to do what Max is doing? Because all the way through, right, from the start to the middle and... And what was it, lap 25 or something when Max already was up to P3? And we were just like, oh, come on. This is quite literally like a video game, as Sundaram mentioned. I think it was lap 18 by the time he actually got the lead of the race. But I'm still going to stick to banter because I was honest at the start of the episode saying... I have more banter notes than race notes. And, you know, you guys remember when we did the preview, we said it's going to be a three-way battle. Will Mercedes join the fight with Red Bull and Ferrari? And, oh, my God, there was a no-way battle. Like, Max was driving through, overtaking cars, left, right, center, as though, you know, he was the only driver, say, driving in the Formula One class and everybody else were, like, moving chicanes or or whatever, you know, you may you may call it. And then... We also had, like we saw the tear of, uh, you know, just how unlucky can Charles Leclerc get through a season. Mind you, he actually overtook Max on the opening lap very briefly till Max actually overtook him back again. So we wouldn't, uh, you know, we couldn't really see how far up the grid could Charles also have uh, you know, gone gone up had he not had the tear off issue, right? We had several things like there was an Iron Man. He was flying over Spa. To me, after Max, he was probably the most interesting driver or pilot, as we call people in in Formula One. And before we get to all the serious stuff, right? 
you have to actually say it in this way, Samuel. Did we actually have a race at Spa question? Because that word question actually means you're asking the question, especially if you are a Ferrari strategist. I mean, did you guys see every time they asked a question to their drivers, they would end it with saying question. So I'm guessing that's a bit of communication that, you know, they've had some consultant come in and say, hey, you need to be more open. You need to say it this way. Why don't you get your drivers more involved? Question. That was a very, very interesting approach, full stop. I, mean, I, I don't even know how it works really for Ferrari sometimes. And uh, at the end as well, right, sticking to the banter power often, when we were watching the race on the watch along on Paytm Insider, we were just confused that, okay, why is Leclerc boxing for the fastest lap now? Because doing so will end up resulting in potentially ending up losing more points because he has to go back down to Alonso. And of course, the penalty happened. We all know that it happened through Max Verstappen staring off Weiser hitting Leclerc's brake pads and then his car getting a bit hot in the opening lap. So he had to box at the very beginning, which essentially ruined his race, his strategy plan as it was. And so he wasn't quite able to stick on the softs. And things just compounded. It, it broke off the sensor, which meant that he was caught speeding in the pit lane, even though he technically wasn't really doing that, wasn't really going that much faster. So it's like Ferrari just have just have a way to innovate. I mean, they're great, right? They're pioneers in this field. Sometimes... It just happens to them. Sometimes it's not through their own doing. But have you noticed, guys? We've just found a new way for them to ruin a race every single time. I can't even think of it. Like now there's this. There was, of course, engines catching fire. There was the team messing up the strategy. There was... What else did we have this year? I mean, what else can we add to the list this year, Sundaram? I'm just wondering about that. I mean, if, if there was... Um, what do you call that? What is, is it called a bingo board? Or um, I'm not sure what it's called. Uh, we have... What is it referred to? Ah, as? It's it's okay. it's a it's a giant <clears throat> spin wheel, right? That, that you spin the wheel and you have giant spin wheel. Yeah, you have you have different types of options on how on how you can end up screwing a race. And Ferrari are taking each each box or each section every single time, and they randomly choose one every single time. It's been so many different types of you know uh, reliability issues or strategic errors that they've made that even I can't seem to uh, you know even I've lost count of it. But um, I'm actually genuinely very surprised at, at what's happening at Ferrari. And I think we'll dissect a little bit more about this because, um, I mean, one, one from Leclerc's side of things and also one from Ferrari's side of things, I think we'll, yeah, let's, let's dissect a little bit more about this. I'm going to add to that list. In qualifying, they put used tires in Q3. And Charles actually went onto the radio singing and, hey, guys, what, what tires are these? And they're like, okay, sorry, we put on the wrong set of tires. Now, Imagine to what level operationally they can get stressed and challenged and and so on. But let's rewind back a little bit. Let's go back to one of the questions that Sommel, of course, asked just at the the start of this, saying, what made Max Verstappen so good? Was this his best performance ever? And uh, what happened to Checo Perez? And I think while Checo Perez would feel horrible that, you know, despite starting what he was, you know, 13 places ahead of Max or something, 12, 13 places, and he still, you know, finished several, you know, tens of seconds, I think it was 11 or 14 seconds behind, like you said. One of the things that actually got revealed earlier this morning was Helmut Marco saying that Checo was testing a new part on the floor and hence was three kilos heavier or something, because Yes, Checo has been drifting away from Max's benchmark as the season, as the Red Bull car has evolved. But uh, in spite, it just seemed like it was just 
too easy for Max to be doing what he was doing as compared to everybody else. That's so true. And it, it just gets so interesting, right, that we head into a race weekend knowing that, oh, yeah, he's, he's going to take a grip penalty and he still might end up winning. But Sundaram, I mean, just this win, it, it, would you kind of claim it to be as one of Max's best performances ever? What do the stats say about this win? I, I think I would definitely say that this is one of Max's best performances, especially because he's had to drive through the midfield starting from 14th. And uh, considering the fact that before the Hungarian Grand Prix, he had never won a race lower than 4th. Uh, and at, at Hungary, he won from 10th, and this time he's won from 14th. So that this is completely new territory for him, uh, and and he's managed to win a race. So that, that that's quite spectacular, I would say. And um, one of the stats I mentioned during the stats preview is also that we've not had a repeat winner or a driver taking back-to-back wins at Spa uh, in consecutive years, and it's it's finally happened after 15 years. The last one to do that was Kimi Raikkonen, but. In terms of a historical aspect, and probably it's a good time to make amends right now, this is actually the second instance in F1 history where two successive races have been won from 10th or lower. And quite interestingly, both times, it was just one driver in the midst of it. In 1959 and 1960, it was Bruce McLaren who won two races starting 10th and 13th. And this time, Verstappen started 10th in Hungary, like I mentioned, and he was the 13th driver on the grid at Spa because Pierre Gasly, he started from the pit lane. So quite a bit of a coincidence in this case. But yeah, stats. I mean, this, these sort of races are a statistician's delight, you know, of him starting from 14 and winning. So I absolutely found quite a lot of stats for this race. You know, this is precisely why I love your Instagram page. Although I consume all the stats on Twitter for me, text over images and videos and stuff, right? But the one stat, now, you know, I remember in the mid-season when we sat down in a studio in Mumbai to discuss was like, how soon can Max Verstappen win the title, right? And for me, at least, no longer is that the main question. Now it's, I'm sort of moving the goalposts just the way Max and Red Bull did in Spa. Can Max Verstappen win uh, 13 races in a season, a record which Schumacher and Vettel hold? Or could he actually sort of beat that vet, uh, you know, beat that uh, uh, record this year. Helmut Marco has said, we need at least three more race wins before we start feeling a little bit more comfortable about our title. And this is despite having the <laughs> second place driver also racing for his team. <laughs> I'm sorry. He said what? <laughs> has he not been watching the TV screens this year? Seriously? No, but... It's just diplomacy, right? At the end of the day, deep down, they might be knowing that they're going up against the team that unfortunately just are like a blunt pencil in this case. I mean, they've got a big, useful, long pencil that looks fancy, but they can't quite use it at the end, which is just a terrible analogy for me to make. But uh, to put things in the context, right? You did? I quite like it. Yeah, it is a very nice analogy, the blunt pencil one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. But uh, the blunt pencil was so blunt in a way that they tried to sharpen it up at the final laps of the race, put on the soft tyre, put it on an extremely low fuel load. Of course, that's Charles Leclerc who I'm referring to. And that lap with Leclerc, obviously that it, it did get hampered slightly because Fernando Alonso was a part of that lap in the first part of the circuit, just, just near Eau Rouge. I think he got a little bit of a toe, but regardless, I can expect a couple of tents to go over there. But still, Verstappen in the middle of the race ended up putting the fastest lap that was six tenths faster than Leclerc on fresh softs and a lighter fuel load. Well, 
can can we can we ever stop singing Verstappen's praises after this race? Or should we, I think, talk about something else? Because I think some might say we're just going too overboard. But I think that's the kind of performance it was, wasn't it, Kunal? It was. And I think apart from just singing Verstappen's praise on this episode, we're also a little surprised with how nobody could literally play catch up. And let's get into the specifics of this, right? Firstly, there was this new technical directive that was put into place from SPA, like we spoke about in the preview episode, controlling porpoising. And the second was around flexi floors. And the assumption always was that Red Bull, just because they're winning everything all the time, are doing something illegal. And that's why we said there could be a three-way battle with Mercedes sort of catching up, right? And of course, what happened is, and this is what Ferrari and uh, Mercedes also very largely believe, is that the characteristics of the Spa-Francorchamps actually worked to Red Bull's advantage. Those mighty long straights is where they were uncatchable. And uh, then, of course, the cooler temperatures helped Max Verstappen uh, a great deal more to sort of, you know, just do one lap in Q3 and still be six tenths ahead. And that was like the largest margin or the largest gap he had to pretty much anybody since uh, any of the races previously held in the season. So it was a culmination of a lot of facts and not just flukes, I would say, in terms of performance. Like I said, the circuit, the temperature, the, the Red Bull car going his way. And, uh, you know, beyond uh, everything else, his sheer belief that he could still do magic in the car, even with uh, a power unit penalty, even by starting lower on the grid and still try and get at least to a podium. But, you know, he was like, like we said earlier, by 18th lap, he was leading the race. Exactly that. And fun that you mentioned the new technical directive in the middle as well. Let's talk about that very briefly, because we all had big expectations and I suppose, uh, at least in my opinion, the way I see it, it's a bit too early to judge based on just one race, as you as you rightly mentioned, Kunal, that the, the characteristics of Spa-Francorchamps might be something that actually suit Red Bull Racing quite a fair bit. So maybe we get a better idea over the course of a spread of five races to see, okay, what exactly is going on. And on the subject of the TD and on the subject of its effectiveness, that naturally leads us on to the subject of Mercedes and why they weren't quite good enough. Uh, many, many on social media, Sundaram, are saying that, oh, it's just only gone out there and put Mercedes backwards. But, uh, I mean, when you consider things and consider the trends over the course of the season, it just appears to be a track-specific thing for Mercedes. Long straights, they've never quite been a big fan of that. And over here, when degradation was high, this naturally should have favoured Mercedes a little bit. But one of their top drivers were, was out and Ferrari was just that damn bit better. So, kind of expected in a way, no? The, the gap that they had eventually. I wouldn't say it was expected because I think largely everyone was very surprised at Mercedes' qualifying pace. And even in terms, so they were obviously better in terms of race pace, but generally the, the overall performance of Mercedes was quite shocking, to be honest, because uh, everyone expected this technical directive to help Mercedes to a, to a good extent and probably pull back Red Bull and Ferrari. But there were talks that probably Ferrari had to uh, increase their ride height, which probably hampered their, their tire degradation as well. Uh, but Red Bull seemed very, you know, they were unperturbed by this whole technical directive. And it's also probably a very track-specific thing because the Mercedes car is very unpredictable and they have certain scenarios that suits them or certain uh, the, the certain window that actually suits them, even in terms of tire performances. So I would say this could be a one-off. Uh, bad performance from Mercedes, but we'll ha- probably have to see over the next few races, Zandvoort and Italy, how how is this what the trend is going to be? 
so we'll have to see how that goes. And that's true what what you pointed out, Sundaram. You know, Mercedes was struggling to get their tires into working to range in qualifying, and that was actually worked against them. But in the race, they actually were a little better with a heavier fuel load, putting more pressure on the tires, getting them into working window, and hence were more competitive against Ferrari, right? But eventually, it was tire degradation that was impacting every other driver on the grid, apart from Max Verstappen. And I think enough of Max Verstappen. uh, But Mercedes actually ended a six-race streak of finishing on the podium, their highest uh, such streak in 2022. And they still are the only team to have finished at least one car in the top five in every race this season, right? So overall, I think their race, their Sunday was much better, not so much so their Saturday. And uh, to me, the even more surprising part was on Saturday, uh, I think uh, Hamilton, Wolf, Shovlin, maybe even Russell, if I remember, all of them said, we need to make sure that... Uh, we do not repeat the same mistake with our 2023 car, sort of indicating that they need to give up on the W13 and focus on what is it to do with the the W14 that that's going to be racing next season. Because like Wolf said, you know, you can't have a car where one race you're on pole and the next race you're two seconds off pole. And that sort of uh, working window is is too narrow for the team to sort of uh, dial more performance into. So, again, circuit-specific, yes, absolutely, but it was shocking to see 1.8 seconds as the gap between Paul and Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, but in, in the race, at some point, you felt that they, they just can't get to Carlos Sainz at the end, right? But George Russell, e- even though the gap was close, you just got a feeling that, ah, uh, they've just got that pace missing. So, that, 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 I suppose, was a bit of an anticlimactic end, which actually kind of brings us on to Carlos Sainz. And why he had a terrible race. Because let's not forget, guys, he was our pole sitter for this weekend, remember? Uh, that that actually happened on Saturday as well. But uh, a similar, similar sort of race for him, Sundaram, in a way, because the pace just wasn't there. Degradation was absurd. And the hard compound tyres that he put on eventually just didn't quite give him enough grip. And Max, as we all know, was just in a different league altogether. I think... Um the the importance of having pole position pole position is slowly eroding away because the pole sitter has won only 14 races uh, of oh, sorry the pole sitter has won only five races uh, in in 14 rounds this year so having pole position doesn't really give you a very good advantage it it's, is what it seems but science was generally suffering from a lot of tire degradation as well uh, but even apart from that the the pace that red bull had over Ferrari was was enormous. He was he was easily a second uh, quick. Uh, Max Verstappen and Red Bull were over a second quicker than the Ferrari. So that also hampered uh, Sainz to an extent. And I think Sainz and Verstappen were on very similar uh, pit start tire strategies as well. So I think they couldn't have really done anything because they were just so far off in in terms of pace. Yeah, and you know Ferrari actually tried every compound they could to try and help Sainz's race because he started on the soft. He made them work. He jumped Max at the start. He took on the medium and then he took on the hard as well, saying, figuring out which compound eventually works out for him or not. And to me, the very fact that uh, he did not lose uh, P3 is a win for Ferrari. And Matteo Binotto turned around and this time, and I, I'm, I'm trying not to be funnier. He said, our strategy was not the problem in Spa. We just lacked performance. 
right? And that's actually true because, you know, somebody asked a question saying, can you guys dissect the strategies that were at play at SPA and could somebody else have done something different to try and challenge Max? But the truth is, or there are two truths here. First is that Max had such fantastic performance that he did not sort of need different strategy to win. And vice versa for the others, they lacked so much performance when, you know, against Max Verstappen that no amount of strategy would have sort of kept them in the running, at least for P1 in the race. So, you know, you need both. You can't just rely on either strategy or performance. You need to bring both to the table. And it seems that, you know, Ferrari were literally lacking that as well. Yes, we, you know, we saw how uh, Charles's uh, race was compromised because of a tear-off and so on. But truth be told, even if he didn't have the tear-off issue, I don't believe he would have been in the running for victory in Spa. Exactly. And Binotto's kind of right in that sense, that the strategy is the second concern, performance is the first. But that still doesn't mean you put a hard tower on Charles Leclerc at the Hungarian Grand Prix. That I mean, that that still doesn't kind of add up for me. But hey, we, we've doubled down on that far too much. We have to talk about other crazier things in the race. And one crazy thing happened in the first lap that I just could not comprehend initially when we were just watching him because it, it felt like we were sitting in a time machine and the year was suddenly 2007 and not 2022 when we saw, of course, the two titans of the sport, Fernando Alonso and Lewis Hamilton crash. Or perhaps Lewis Hamilton and Fernando Alonso crash. Because, of course, we've all seen the replays. I think we can all kind of have a unanimous sentiment over it that Hamilton was at fault over here. Misjudgment in a way, okay, happens to the best of them. Sometimes you end up being called an idiot. Sometimes you end up being let go. I mean, that's that's fine, right? That's just Fernando Alonso for you. But do you guys reckon that would have changed? I mean, had that incident not happened, Alonso would have been able to have an even better race eventually. Because P5, and he had a bit of a gap to all the drivers up ahead. But... It was kind of lucky in a way, right, that Leclerc got the penalty and he took the extra stop. So had that not happened, had he not had even the slightest bit of damage, do you reckon Sundaram he would have had a better race as such? I think what he was most upset was uh, upset about was the fact that he had a he had a very good start. He was up into P two, um, and he was leading Hamilton. So that's what he was most upset about because eventually, looking at the race distance of forty four laps, uh, I mean. The, the whole race length of 44 laps, I don't suppose Alonso would have stuck to P2 or, or or even P3. Looking at the pace of the Red Bulls or looking at the pace of the Ferraris as well, he would have slipped down further. But P5 was actually the best of what he could have achieved yesterday. It was. And uh, I think Hamilton, Alonso, had they not had that incident, I would have loved to see how Perez would have recovered you know, from a bad start as well, because he had a lot of wheel spin. He just dropped the clutch and the car didn't go. And we know what how that whole played out, right? Uh, to me, the the only striking part of that accident or incident rather was that Lewis Hamilton was walking back very sullen to the pits. We saw how he was captured. It was nowhere as classic as what Kimi Raikkonen did in the desert a few years ago, right? But it was still, uh, try. it's like, you know, you at least try and get a little closer to Raikkonen and how cool that, that visual was, right? Aren't you guys also remembering that visual of Kimi Raikkonen going through the desert? Anyway, the, the point is, Lewis Hamilton actually refused to go to the Circuit Medical Center for a post accident checkup which is a protocol by the FIA and then he was given a warning and so on and so forth so I don't quite know why he did that at this moment given how safety is of paramount uh, you know safety is paramount in Formula One 
it seems a little silly for him to have done that. Maybe he has his reasons. But either way, it was it was nice of Lewis to walk by and say, hey, you know what? He was in my blind spot. I turned him, turned in on him. Uh, it was my mistake. And yes, a lot of social media is going crazy about how Fernando Alonso was waving at Lewis and so on. But remember, even Lewis said that in the heat of the moment when they are they are in action and things happen, you end up saying things like Fernando's radio message or doing things like his waving off the hand, uh, you know, when he drove past Lewis, which you don't really remember once you're out of the car. So we should save Fernando some flack and praise his P5 performance, which, by the way, for all his hate or love of Lewis Hamilton, he finished 44 seconds behind George Russell, right? Uh So number 44 is stuck with him either way. And and you don't often tend to see Lewis Hamilton make mistakes. And when you actually see that, it you can't remember the last time when he's actually had a race retirement of sorts. This one would, would probably be a little bit easier to remember, which was the Italian Grand Prix. But the last time he actually retired on an opening lap was back in 2016 uh, when he crashed with Nico Rosberg. And I don't really have to mention the track because I think everyone knows that it was in Barcelona. Uh, but yeah, you, you rightly said it that these sort of... Uh, and I think Alonso is... is is a treat to listen to when he when he gets on the radio. He's he's he said a lot of things in the past as well about the engine, about the stewards' decisions, about other drivers as well. But yeah, these these sort of things uh, happen because they're high performance athletes. There's a lot of adrenaline rushing through them, and when another driver collides into you, you end up saying a thing or two. And this has happened to a lot of drivers: Max Verstappen, Lewis Hamilton. But then these things you don't tend to remember them a lot because yeah, it's just in the heat of the moment. I think you know somewhere. Fernando Alonso also realized that one of the things that made Kimi Raikkonen really cool uh, at the fag end of his career when he was not winning races, not getting onto the podium, but still revered as one of the coolest personalities were radio messages. And I think Fernando has decided to step into that, you know, gap that exists in the Formula One fans mindset of these really cool radio messages. And that's where he sort of stepped up. But, you know, hats off to him, P5. Uh, Also, You know, uh, Esteban Ocon, I don't know what does he need to do to get primetime focus, not just from us, but from pretty much everybody in Formula One. I mean, that guy did one double overtake, which was fine, not hyped, and it was spoken about. So he said, you know what? Nobody's paying attention. I'm going to do another double overtake, right? And we're still not talking about it. And I, I still remember we had Mika Hakkinen as our guest on the Via Play show, right? And as expected, everyone wanted to ask him what happened in 2000. You know, Hakkinen, Zonta, Schumacher, three-way pass. And we are still living it 22 years later. I don't think anybody is even going to remember Ocon's two double passes 20 days after Spires ended. Poor chap. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I, I don't know why. Just just things with Esteban Ocon tend to get faded away very quickly. Like people tend to have a very short memory. But uh, do you guys remember that he actually even won a race last year? Uh, you have to remind people that, oh, achha, he actually did that. Yeah, hungry. And and he did it on merit as well. So it's, it's ridiculous how things play out with him eventually. But it's great that his value is recognized within all the teams. And I remember us coughing last year and saying, huh, Three-year contract for Esteban Ocon. Are, are you guys out of your minds, Alpine? But I think it might just end up being one of the shrewdest moves as well. A good driver to tie it down eventually. And that move that he made over there, just not, not as good as Meek, obviously, because you're not racing against Michael Schumacher and it's the midfield and whatnot. But my word, did we get excited on the Paytm Insider live stream that we had over there. 
this was just quite, quite something. But folks, there's also a lot more to get excited about this weekend as well. We're getting Sanford. Is that the Zanford? Have I pronounced it correctly? I think you can let me know on social media whenever you can. But yeah, the Dutch Jeep is going to come up this weekend as well. So gentlemen, what are your thoughts on that, Kunal? What excites you the most, barring the party atmosphere that really gets me going for this weekend? I'll tell you what I'm looking forward to the most. What I'm looking forward to at Sanford at the Dutch Grand Prix, I will only talk about in our preview episode. So remember to subscribe, notify, put your notifications on, etc. But that's I'm not trying to plug our our show because there's something more important that is expected to happen from now until the preview, and that is the outcome of Piasco or whatever Oscar Piastri did with Alpine, uh, right? And uh, the contract recognition board is actually in discussion as we are recording this episode. Uh, I believe the outcome will be known, uh, you know, in the next couple of days or even uh, before because, hey, it's about which contract will they uphold and then finally for the driver to make the decision, right? And here, very crucially, uh, is where Oscar Piastri's career is in, in question. The good news is he will have a drive. We just don't know which team. But uh, the resulting factor will then be if Daniel Ricciardo will have a drive or not for 2023. And, you know, Otmar Safnauer has been really grilled about Piasco in Belgium. And he actually turned around and said, can we please wait for Monday before we talk about our future, before we talk about whether Alpine is considering Daniel Ricciardo? Because I believe that the contract recognition board will uphold our contract with Oscar Piastri, which was signed in uh, November 2021. So I'm now waiting to see if Otmar will be proved wrong one more time. Right? Why do I say that? Because several things that he said in the short period that he's joined Alpine, especially about Fernando Alonso and, and so on, suddenly weren't making the cut. And Fernando was you know, very quick to refute that. I called Laura Rossi and whoever else to tell them about me moving on and my mechanics and so on, but he chose not to call Otmar. So my reading is that there is some water under the bridge between Otmar and Fernando. But now I want to see what actually uh, happens with Otmar's predictions on Oscar Piastri. I believe he is okay if Oscar doesn't race with Alpine but he wants a significant payback for all the investments that they made over the years. And then they will go and see if they can use that money to see which driver they can buy on the market. For example, Pierre Gasly by paying off Red Bull or by then affording Daniel Ricciardo's services, which I believe must be much cheaper from this season onwards. You know, this this whole Piasco incident or the Piastri gate uh, issue between McLaren and Alpine has shot up so much of prominence for the CRB, the Contract Recognition Board, that I saw a very funny tweet on, on Twitter by Pablo Elizalde where he says that plot twist, plot twist, the CRB decides that Piastri will work for CRB in 2023. That actually got me really <laughs> chuckling after watching that tweet, but uh, seeing that tweet. Um but yeah, that's that's going to be a big thing that we're going to be watching out for this whole week. What what happens? What's the outcome of that whole uh, contractual issue? And you should also keep an eye out on our next episode on the Inside Line F1 podcast, the Dutch GP preview, which comes up very very soon. So stay tuned for that, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this good time this this weekend, and hope you've enjoyed also joining us on our live race watch along on Paytm Insider, which will be back for the Italian Grand Prix. So don't forget to register for that by clicking on the link in our bio. So 
Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye and have a good time. See you.